Welcome to Smart Muslimer Podcast. Inshallah, if you find this podcast episode useful, please subscribe and tell your friends and family about Smart Muslimer. Also, good news, I have a newsletter and that's how we can stay in touch. To subscribe, please go to smartmuslimer.com. Details are also in the podcast notes. In the newsletter, I'll be sharing my book recommendations, productivity tips and online courses that I've created. Interestingly, this word feminism, it has been a very tricky word and I heard, when I heard it the first time, I was, I heard it in, in, a, in like I heard some negative responses and some positive ones and I hesitated in saying, am I a feminist or not? And then after hearing your speech, uh, when you said, if not now, when, if not me, who? I decided that there's no way and there's, there's nothing wrong by calling yourself a feminist. So I am a feminist and we all should be feminist because feminism is another word for equality. Wow. I'm so moved to hear that. That's absolutely amazing. And I agree with you. It's, um, it's become this really difficult word, but I think it's, it's wonderful when people do embrace it because yes. it, it should be synonymous with equality. People have forgotten its definition. They really, really have. That was Emma Watson speaking to Malala Yousafzai. And what they were agreeing on was a definition of feminism. And that that definition is that feminism means equality. Now, that's a very simple way of defining feminism, but it's become quite popular. And what I would like to look at today is equality as an ideal. Why is that something that people are pushing for, are propagating? It's something that um, women in particular say that, yes, we want equality, we must have equality. And I'd like to understand the historical reasons for people calling for the right of equality. Secondly, as you noticed in what Malala said was that she identifies herself as a feminist. And there are some Muslims who, Muslim women, who do say, yes, I'm a feminist because Islam believes in equality. So that's the second thing that I want to explore, that what does equality mean in Islam? Because non-Muslims have a very different um, vision and practical um, reality of equality. And just because Islam mentions equality, you know, in the Quran and in the Sunnah, does that mean it's exactly the same? And I think it's important as Muslim women that we, we think about that. So inshallah, let's begin. According to the feminist literature that I have read, feminists want legal and political equality with men. They want to be able to compete in public life on equal terms with men, regardless of their sex. They would like to enjoy equality in family and personal life, childcare, domestic responsibilities, control of one's body, control over sexual expression and fulfillment. And this is a summary of the reading that I have been doing. So let's now explore what all of those mean. And um, 
there are um before i begin there are many types of feminism i'm not um and you can research this yourselves so there's you know socialist feminism there's um liberal feminism that there are many types and so i'm when i'm speaking i i'll be speaking about the general agreed principles that are undeniable as mentioned in the previous episode um feminism is a liberal philosophy so its basis and foundation is liberalism and the people who began liberalism were thinkers and philosophers so people like john locke in the 17th century we had john stuart mill in the 18th century and then we had mary wollstonecraft in the 18th century and they essentially have come up with ideas and you could really say from their own imagination and based on the the time they were living in the context they were living so religion society the values that were important they shaped the ideas that they came up with and each of these thinkers and philosophers they built on each other's opinions and views and slowly these you know over the years what we have is a set of rights and values that people who are liberal um and secular so people who don't think religion should be important in public life it should just be something you keep personal and to the periphery of life these people these these are some of the ideas that they have um come up with that um essentially human beings they are individuals yeah so the individual is really important rather than the group and even the family and so the rights that an individual has um they should be protected and so what are those rights that people should have you know we can they're also known as human rights that you know i'm sure you've heard of so things that you know the freedom to you know freedom of assembly so that means freedom of gathering freedom of association freedom of choice freedom of speech you know it's freedom of religion these are things that they um basically a secular liberal and then feminists as well they these are things that they believe are so important to that the government should secure for people and also that the government this you know the state should not interfere too much in the lives of individuals one of the most famous statements of the importance for equality for people is the united states declaration of independence it begins we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and the word unalienable means absolute so they the men have certain absolute rights and carrying on that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness i must point out the hypocrisy of some of the people who wrote the us declaration of of um independence now the united states it says it was founded on the idea that all men are created equal but during the late 18th century and early 19th century slaveholding or you know owning slaves was common among the statesmen who served as president 
All told, at least 12 chief executives, over a quarter of all American presidents, were slave owners during their lifetimes. Of these, eight held enslaved people while in office. So the peculiar institution, as it's phrased, of of slavery, loomed large over the first few decades of American presidential history. Not only did slave labourers help build the White House, all of the earliest presidents, except John Adams and his son John Quincy Adams, were slave owners. George Washington kept 300 bondsmen at his Mount Vernon plantation. Thomas Jefferson, despite once calling slavery an assemblage of hovers, owned at least 175 enslaved workers. And Thomas Jefferson was one of the men who actually, you know, um, helped to create the the declaration. So I just felt I needed to point that out because um, it's something that isn't mentioned very often. But it's one thing to say you believe in equality, but statements are very easy to make. Do do you actually enact it in life? And these were strong, influential men. They could have done this, but they didn't. But again, they, they are the founding fathers of America. So that is something to bear in mind. Let's now turn our attention to gender equality because that's the focus of a lot of feminists. And so what the, let, let's just define the difference between sex and gender. So feminists have traditionally challenged the idea that biology is destiny by drawing a sharp distinction between sex and gender. Sex in this sense refers to biological differences between males and females, whereas gender is a cultural term. It refers to the different roles that society ascribes to women and men. And what feminists, basically, what they believe is that you don't have to um, conform to social norms. Women, why should women have to take, be, for example, why should they be the, you know, the have domestic responsibilities you know, why do they have to have the responsibility of motherhood, nurturing, educating and ch- um, children by devoting themselves to home and family? So that's a role that they feel isn't the natural role of a woman based on her physical, you know, makeup. They're saying society puts that and one of the, and a patriarchal society is one where men are making women do those roles and they're controlling them and women do not have a choice and so that's they want equal gender equality where women can um do everything that men can do and men should do what women do in a nutshell i guess one of the things that we need to ask ourselves is can gender equality really exist in society not just as an idea and as Muslims in particular, can we adopt gender equality? And I'm also wondering, when we see gender equality in, let's take the UK or US, what effect has that had on the lives of women and their happiness, the effect on marriages and divorce rates, the effect on families and single motherhood? These are all really important questions. It's um, ideas we hold have an effect on our actions. And so just like the founding fathers who wrote the 
US de Declaration um, of Independence, they made these broad statements of equality for all men. But when it came down to it, they didn't give up their slaves. They didn't, for, because it was against their benefit. They had their own prejudices. They had their own religious beliefs that made them think in a particular way. And today, I feel it's the same case that with feminists, if we look at, <clears throat> they say they want equality for men and women, but do they end up being biased towards men? Is there negativity towards men? Is, do they actually want gen female um, privilege rather than, you know, do they want special treatment? Now, what I'd like us to listen to next is um, another clip from a debate that Sister Zara Faris took part in. Um, the title of the debate was, Do Women Need Feminism? And I think she really um, clearly out, outlines and gives examples of laws and policies and campaigns that um, have pushed this idea of, you know, there should be gender equality, but look at the results that it has created. So let's have a listen. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for coming. It's claimed that women need feminism because there are women that suffer injustice. But this ignores that nearly all human beings suffer injustice at some point in their lives at the hands of either men or women. And justice for only one group of society to the exclusion of another is like a bird without one wing. It just doesn't fly. Men have a fundamental need for justice just the same as women do. And whilst the very word feminism discriminates, the word justice doesn't. Justice means giving people what they deserve or merit. But as we'll see, feminism and justice are not synonymous. Feminism is a highly ambiguous term, straightjacketing instead of liberating. It is the call for gender privilege, masquerading as equality. In essence, feminism denies a human reality. It is unclear and not the cause for justice. To begin, feminists advocate that women have traditionally been dehumanized in a male-dominated society, which they call the patriarchy, and that it has always been better to be a man. But this one-sided claim snubs the privileges that women have often enjoyed simply for being women. The dynamics of society at the most basic level show that it has actually always been better to be a woman. Biologically, every woman counts in reproduction and perpetuating life itself, giving each woman an intrinsic worth, regardless of what she does. It only takes one man, however, for many women to have children. So historically, this gave rise to the idea amongst human societies that men are largely disposable, whilst every woman is indispensable. This is why, instinctively, we prioritise safety and comfort for women rather than men, why women are rescued first in any emergency or disaster and get the first seat in lifeboats, why men tend to work longer hours risking life and limb in the more dirty and dangerous jobs like being coal miners, oil drillers, foot soldiers, construction workers, rubbish collectors and the male relative acting as the unpaid bodyguard in the home. To quote one activist, women are human beings whilst men are human doings. This privilege is not appreciated by feminists because, as pro-feminist Michael Kimmel once said, privilege is invisible to those who have it. When it comes to violent crime, the reality is that the more violent the crime, the more likely the victim is to be a man. Men are more than twice as likely to be murdered than women in the UK. When it comes to domestic violence, The Guardian reported that men are the victims more than 40% of the time, excluding unreported cases. And men are half as likely to tell anyone about it in the first place. When it comes to the provision of refuges, there are 7,500 for females in England and Wales, but only 60 for men. As for male rape victims within UK prisons, there's a collective state of denial. It's just not taken seriously. 
Men are held to a higher standard of self-defence, and so they often suffer in silence, reluctant to be re-victimised by an unsympathetic legal system or disbelieving treatment from professionals. Yet feminists generally remain egregiously quiet about male suffering as a result, as a result of social roles. Whilst feminists seek liberation from the shackles of the traditional female role, the man is still expected to continue his traditional disposable role. This one-sided narrative of feminism is not the way forward. For feminists, equality is merely a facade to favour women, often at the expense of others. Like when former Equality Minister Harriet Harman, a feminist, publicly requested employers to discriminate against white men and hire women instead if both candidates were equally qualified. Or when former Equality Minister Patricia Hewitt, also a feminist, was found guilty of breaching the Sex Discrimination Act by overlooking a strong male applicant for a job in favour of a weaker female applicant. So feminists claim to seek equality and call for a 40% minimum female quota on management boards, but conspicuously do not call for a 40% minimum quota for soldiers, prison guards, lumberjacks, miners, bodyguards or construction workers. Why is that? Why not campaign for an end to the women and children first policy and lifeboats and have it first come first serve? Why not have women and men compete side by side in the Olympics as equals? Of course, the reason feminists won't advocate this is because it's not really about equality, but the means to achieve gender privilege. Another shocking example is the feminist campaign for closing women's prisons. The Fawcett Society, the UK's leading feminist campaign for closing the inequality gap between women and men, campaigned that female prisons did not suit women's needs. So, as recommended in a report by Baroness Corston, they should be closed and replaced with what is in effect women's social clubs where female offenders get to spend time with each other, organising their own shopping, budgets and cooking, and then go home to their children at the end of each day. The Corston report also stated that women and men are different. Equal treatment of women and men does not result in equal outcomes, going on to claim that women are governed by hormones in a monthly cycle which affects their moods and emotions. These biological factors have a direct bearing on the way in which women experience stressful events during their lives. If a man were to say that about treating women differently in the workplace, he'd be called a misogynist. Strangely, though, feminists are completely happy for women to say that women are governed by hormones and cite biological factors when it comes to obtaining privileges. So for feminists, male criminals are to be punished to the full extent of the law, whilst female criminals should get comfort and help. Why is male suffering and injustice less important than female suffering and injustice? Surely, justice doesn't discriminate. But as we can see, feminism does. Feminists are not asking for equal treatment, but special treatment, gender privilege. Women do not need gender privilege, and therefore they do not need feminism. In reality, they, along with men, need justice, a comprehensive justice for all. Secondly, women need clear solutions. But feminism is unclear and evasive. Feminism comes in many different factions, conservative, liberal, socialist, postmodern, ecofeminism, and so on. With no shared value system or moral guidance, feminists don't agree on anything but the name and will happily contradict themselves if need be. For example, feminists have no clear position on the sexual objectification of women. Some feminists advocate androgenizing the female appearance and others campaign for safer uh, cosmetic surgery without challenging why women actually feel the need to have it in the first place. Because feminism cannot deal with complexities, it promotes the idea of individualism instead. The idea that women should be empowered through redefining their own expectations. And feminists are always on hand to dictate that women should make men the benchmark of these expectations. Instead of freeing women from male expectation, feminists expect free women to be male. Finally, 
I argue that feminism denies human reality. It straightjackets women and doesn't understand or accommodate the natural proclivities of the genders. Virtually all species, from bees to primates, have different gender roles, with different biological abilities across the sexes. Yet feminists insist that any gender difference between humans is invented, and there is nothing biological about men or women that should inform their social roles. Scientific studies have clearly demonstrated, however, the role of testosterone in building muscle, increasing competitiveness, confidence and risk-taking, making men better suited to the more hazardous and competitive roles of society. Because of testosterone, men naturally tend to be faster, bigger, possess more stamina and are physically stronger. So teaching a girl that she can naturally compete equally with men in everything is misleading. One absurd example of this is when feminists, attempting to achieve equal outcomes between the sexes, had the strenuous physical tests for UK firefighters lowered and the standards relaxed in order to accommodate more female firefighters. So the standards you can now expect from professionals in burning buildings and boardrooms, as I mentioned earlier, whether male or female, is much lower than before because of feminists. It seems feminists are implicitly agreeing with Plato when he said that women should be treated equally to men except that not so much should be expected of them. Leading feminists in their absurd quest for equal outcomes between the sexes to campaign for mediocrity in the workplace rather than meritocracy. Feminists argue that the division of labour in traditional families constrains women's opportunities, that women are discriminated against in getting jobs and wages, that there exists a wage gap between the genders. However, these arguments collapse upon further scrutiny because if employers could get away with paying a woman less for the exact same task that they could pay a man, why wouldn't they just hire women? Furthermore, statistics cited by feminists as evidence of the wage gap tend to lump full-time hours in with overtime hours, of which women tend to do far less than men. They also average earnings from disparate jobs, like primary school teachers with investment bankers, sales engineers with chemical engineers, HR executives with finance executives, so they don't compare like-for-like jobs at all. Nor are women discouraged from entering higher-paying fields. They outperform men at university, but are more likely to choose languages, arts and social sciences, which pay less, whilst men are more likely to choose engineering, technology, math and sciences, which pay more. The division of labour once children are born also means mothers tend to intensify their home commitments and fathers tend to heavily intensify their work commitments. Men seem to make this trade-off more than women, perhaps because men feel more obliged to earn than women do. The reality is that the statistics do not reflect discrimination but choices. If there is a glass ceiling, it seems that women are the main architects of it because they get to trade off higher paying jobs for more flexible hours to combine work and family life, which means they not only get the benefit of the father's wage, but also a better work-life balance for herself. Isn't that more important than arbitrarily chasing the highest paying jobs? Feminists don't want to be thought of as sexual objects, but seem happy to be valued according to their economic worth. Both assessments are materialistic and neither should dictate the worth of a man or a woman. The wage gap is telling in that feminists cannot deny the impact of motherhood on the woman's life choices, that men and women cannot live lives completely autonomous from one another, that men and women actually need each other to make a whole. So that's the wage gap. But if feminists are so keen on equality, what about their silence on the cancer research gap, the education gap, the violent crime gap, the death on the job gap, the suicide gap, the life expectancy gap, all of which discriminate against men? In idolising the male and trying to create an androgynous sexuality where men and women are virtually identical, except for their anatomy, feminists have perpetuated a misogynistic self-loathing for the traditional female role. Motherhood and female tenderness is now viewed as a weakness. The strength of men, which can be used to lead wars just as it can be used to be fierce protectors, is often kept in check by the compassion and temperance of women. 
But when women abandon these qualities and want the same aggression that they perceive in men, what will be left? When feminists are insisting on taking over the male role, is it any surprise that men are shirking their responsibilities, which they once did with pride, diligence and selfless duty? If feminists want to have it all, they will most likely end up having to do it all, often at the expense of their own well-being and, most importantly, at the expense of our children. Okay, so now I'm going to open the floor to um, questions, comments, and um, and basically uh, any other points you wish to make. What both speakers have said. Question. Question over there. Just a comment. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you very much to both speakers for their important presentations and points as well. The point that I wanted to raise is that I think historically, I mean, I think even currently, fem- feminism defined its wrong enemy. And that enemy became men. And I think the problem, the consequence of that, is that men and women became adversaries rather than partners in dealing with injustice, whether it was against women, whether it was against men. The battle of the sexes kind of issue. And the other consequence of this was that it failed to recognize the true enemy of women, which I believe is the system and the values which are promoted within the Muslim world and also within the Western world, mainly the capitalist system. You mentioned, I think you mentioned poverty, um, poverty mm. and women are most affected by this. But I would say it's a capitalist system that has led to the kind of problems, financial problems that are affecting today, seeing the global crisis and also the Muslim world. <laughs> so I think, that I think what's important is to really recognize the key causes of the problems that women face today. It's not men. It's rather the system, I would say the capitalist system that has caused this. It's also allowed the exploitation of women for profit in entertainment, in uh, magazines, in in TV, all of these things, advertising. And we see the consequences of this. So I'd maybe like the speakers to really address what is the true enemy of women today and to recognize that if we don't identify the correct enemy, it's not men, it's actually the values and the systems which are implemented, you know, within our countries and the Muslim world and also here today. Okay. Um, Zara, do you want to come? Okay, sure. Um, I obviously agree. I don't think the enemy is Ben. I think the enemy is not um, entirely just the system itself, though. It's the values, and it's the values that we ourselves perpetuate. Um, perhaps sometimes uh, subconsciously and perhaps by not really dealing with the root cause of the problem. So when we talk about, um, you know, uh, evaluating what someone should be paid for for a different job, on what basis are we making the decision? I mean, it's going to be completely arbitrary to say that, you know, a, a car mechanic should be paid more than, you know, a plumber or this and that, unless we have some kind of yardstick or measure for what is prioritized in society, what is important and what is not. And until we actually figure out what those values are, we won't know how how to, how to give proper merit to different tasks. And obviously, when it comes to pay, um, in an Islamic system, uh, you're paid according to what the intrinsic value of the task is. It's regardless of who you are, whether you're a male or female, black or white, it's irrelevant. And so you can't really put a value on different tasks and different roles in society unless you understand what the values of society actually are. So I think the real question is, what are the values? And I think you're right to raise that. So. Okay. Did, you want to, did you want to come back on that? <laughs> yeah, actually, just to come up back on what the uh, speaker said, that uh, even some of the problems that were mentioned, like the gender pay gap, I think you mentioned, Zara, that it's a direct result of businesses trying to save money, right? What would make a business want to pay a woman the same as a man if they can save a few bucks? 
And the consequent that the reason for that is from the kind of capitalist system that we function on. What is it that allows companies to continue to exploit and sell intersexualized you know, uh, clothes for young girls? And the government continues to allow it, knowing the consequences upon the way women are viewed within society because it makes money. So I think we need to recognize that there are underlying kind of views which are being promoted about women as a consequence of this drive for profit all the time. And uh, this drive for profit is essentially based upon kind of capitalist system that we, that we live in. I learned a lot from that debate. And Charlie, you can watch the whole debate on my website. Go to www.farhatthameen.com and click on the tab at the top that says podcast. Inshallah, I think that we've covered a lot in today's podcast. And so there's a lot to think about. Inshallah, in the next episode, I will then go into the details of what's the Islamic view of equality, because I think that needs to be have an episode of its own, because there are so many examples to talk about. And I just think... You know, if you're listening to this while you're driving or you're cooking, which is what I do, then there's only so much information you can absorb. And alhamdulillah, we've got plenty of time to to cover the topics in depth. Inshallah, have a lovely day and um, you can you'll be listening to me again soon. Inshallah. Asalaamu Alaikum.